It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. Breaking down everything, and I do mean everything that we have seen in conference championship weekend. With one game to go in the NFL season, I think it's fair to say this 20, I guess technically 2022 postseason, but 2021 regular season, we know, I think it's been the greatest collection of playoff games we've ever seen. And arguably, these two, these last two weeks of NFL football, divisional round weekend, conference championship weekend, could be the best consecutive two weeks of football we might ever see again. Every single game coming down to the wire. Last week, every, uh, every game decided on the last play of the game. This week, an overtime thriller and one that goes down to the wire in L.A. An incredible Incredible weekend of football. And that just leads us now to two teams remaining, the Rams and the Bengals. We have a lot to get into here. I want to discuss how Joe Burrow has been able to lead a team in Cincinnati that was 2-4 and four in 2-4, 2-14 uh, two, two in 2019 and in two years lead them to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, on the other hand, absolutely collapsed in the second half. Who's more to blame? Patrick Holmes or Andy Reid? We'll get into that. Jimmy G, will he be, should he be, a 49er next season? We'll, we'll get into that. And, of course, we'll get into the Matthew Stafford leading the Rams to the Super Bowl in year number one. So it's a jam-packed show, as always. As a reminder, we are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. And whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So let's start with the second game. Let's go backwards here, going from the second game, then to the first game. Because I want to talk about the Rams. I want to talk about Matthew Stafford here to start off the Ryan Hickey show. I thought yesterday's game, and I thought yesterday's win was a perfect, perfect encapsulation of Matthew Stafford's season in L.A. Because the big takeaway, the, the big, I think, summation we can make so far from this year number one of Stafford the Rams is that no quarterback in the NFL, no quarterback, has been able to handle the pressure better than Matthew Stafford this season. You look at some other big-name quarterbacks, big-time quarterbacks that were dealing with some, some pressure, either heading into the year or heading to the playoffs. Or Aaron Rodgers, we assume this was going to be the last dance for him with the Packers. Well, as we know, his last playoff game, he absolutely crumbled at home against the, the 49ers in Lambeau Field in the snow. Got everything he wanted, still couldn't come through. They scored 10 points. Patrick Holmes was absolutely stifled in the second half against the Bengals. We'll get to that game a little bit later on, but he looked lost. He was awful in the second half of the season. Jimmy G, not there's a lot of pressure on him, but obviously this season had a lot of um, adversity. Jimmy G had to face, for the most part, Faced it pretty well, but as we kind of saw the fourth quarter, he really did kind of crumble back down to earth, couldn't get the job done. So a lot of quarterbacks this season 
have been unable to overcome the mounting pressure. And in the big moments, when your team needs you most, normally fade, usually fold, and unable to get the job done. But for Matthew Stafford, again, I did not, I, I, or I thought, was able to handle it the best. And he was the only real quarterback we've seen this season that has constantly risen above the ashes. And when the team needs a big play, when they need a big throw or a big drive, Matthew Stafford was consistently, consistently there to bail the Rams out time and time and time again. And I thought we saw that perfectly yesterday. Because just like he's done all season, in a game yesterday where it's a lot of pressure on the Rams, where coming in, the storyline was all about Matthew Stafford, was about Sean McVay, was about this Rams team getting over the hump, getting to the Super Bowl, trying to beat a team that's beat them six consecutive times. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of attention on the Rams. And just like he's done all season long, Matthew Stafford did what? Remain calm under pressure and delivered when the Rams needed him the most. I look at the fourth quarter. If we fast forward, fast forward right to the fourth quarter, this is a Rams team that is trailing 17 to 7. It is easy. And they get, you know, with the season online, hit the panic button, start pressing, start getting desperate, over, overly aggressive, and making some bad decisions. I mean, you look at history. History has not treated the either Sean McVay or Matthew Stafford well in these situations, right? Down 10, entering the fourth quarter. Matthew Stafford has lost the last 26 games. He has played in one by trailing by 10 or more points, entering the fourth quarter. Sean McVay, no better. 0-14 in his career when his team is trailing by 10 or more points, entering the fourth quarter. Well, as we know, 17-7, quick math, that's 10 points. The Rams are 0-4 this season in scenarios where they're trailing by 10 or more points entering the fourth. So it's easy if you're Matthew Stafford kind of knowing that in the back of your head that, oh boy, things have not gone well and we've been trailing by a lot. Sean McVay, easy to get a little flustered or a little rattled when you realize history is not on your side. And you know what? To be honest, part of the reason why Matthew Stafford, I thought, was even more impressive yesterday was he had to overcome his head coach. I thought Sean McVay coached scared yesterday. Sean McVay, for a large part of that, for that game, kind of felt like the pressure was, you know, he was succumbing to the pressure. He had poor timeout usage both in, the, both in the first half and the second half. He had horrible, two horrible challenges where the first one on a fourth and short sneak, where it's obvious from the TV that Matthew Stafford did not get the first down, where you challenge it, and normally it's almost impossible to overturn those short yardage basically in a, you know, in a massive uh, massive scramble and a massive pileup in front. Usually, it's hard when we're talking about inches or even a yard. It's hard to win those challenges where you're asking the ball to be put up a few inches. Now, I thought it was a horrible challenge, number one. Then he followed it up later in the game with the even worse challenge, challenging a fumble where Kyle Juszczyk had the ball on the ground for, you know, and he was down for like five seconds before the ball came loose. And he thought, oh, yeah, we're going to challenge that and win it. That was horrible. Lost his second challenge, lost his final timeout. I thought Sean McVay kind of panicked and allowed the pressure to get into his head and affect his decision-making. Even late in the game, different points, you know, or should say different points during the game, not just late, but throughout the game, had a lot of conservative play calls too. So if you're Matthew Stafford, not only now do you have to overcome a 10-point deficit, try to beat a team that, you know, has had the Rams number recently, even though a lot of that's been when he's not there, they have won six straight times, they have beaten you, two times, you know, that you played him in L.A. this season, not only do you have to overcome all those odds at home to go to the Super Bowl, you also now have to overcome a head coach that I thought panicked a little bit. 
I was feeling the pressure. Not truly putting the Rams in a, the best position to succeed. But despite all of that, all those, you know, obstacles he had to overcome, Matthew Stafford again remained cool and delivered the Rams a Super Bowl berth. We talk about rising up and facing the pressure, and I told you to start the show, right? I thought no quarterback has handled the pressure better than Matthew Stafford this season. How about we put that into numbers? How about we show truly what that does mean? Down 17-7. to The drive that ended the third quarter and bled into the fourth quarter. So if we look at the final three drives of the game, if, we, if we're not counting the kneel down at the end for the Rams, Matthew Stafford was absolute money. When you need your quarterback to come up clutch and, and play his best, Matthew Stafford did that. This is the guy you envision when you trade two first-round picks and ship out your old quarterback that did help get to you a Super Bowl and did win a playoff game last year, when you ship him out and you bring in an upgrade, you envision and you bring in the upgrade for games like this. Well, you need your quarterback to step up and play the best, and Matthew Stafford in crunch time in the fourth quarter absolutely did that. The final three drives of the game, Matthew Stafford went and combined 14 for 17, 159 yards, and a touchdown. The offense scored on all three drives, one touchdown, two field goals, scored 13 points, obviously, and that led or that went from a 17 to 7 deficit to a 20 to 17 victory. And the Stafford's, I guess we'll still call it credit, wasn't phased early in the game when he threw a pick in the end zone. Ill-advised pass. I thought the worst pass of the postseason Matthew Stafford has threw, uh, has thrown. Then later on in the game, should have thrown a pick to Jaquaski Tart. Uh, fly a ball, a can of corn, pop fly to center field, Tart drops it. But to Stafford's credit, again, it's easy to kind of fold and get conservative. Like, oh boy, uh, that was a mistake. I got lucky. Now we're just going to hand the ball off and I'm not going to make another mistake again. To Stafford's credit, he still kept throwing. He still realized we can't run the ball. If we you know, get conservative now, we're not going to win this game. And the very next play came back for a big throw down the sideline to OBJ. He still kept firing. He still wasn't scared off or become skittish. And again, I think it's easy to do that. Easy to get conservative. Easy to get a little nervous and try to make just a safe play instead of the big play. But Stafford never let that phase him. That's impressive, especially in the fourth quarter with so much on the line. Kept sticking with the plan and made big-time throws to lead his team to victory. This is also, by the way, now coming off the heels of that incredible 66-yard drive at 42 seconds left last week in Tampa to knock off Tom Brady, probably send him into retirement, and send the Rams to the NFC title game. Stafford has been clutch all game or all season long. And he is right now one of the clutchest quarterbacks um, that's playing in the NFL. There's not many guys right now you would take over Matthew Stafford. And he's been able to do that. He's been able to be clutch and step up in the big moment, especially in the playoffs, all season long when the pressure has constantly been on his shoulders. And there's a big reason why so much pressure, so much attention was on Matthew Stafford on the Rams this season. He's a hired gun. right? We saw this Rams team be very good and is very well built. And when they made the trade for Stafford, it was them signaling, we're going all in. This is truly Super Bowl or bust for 2021 and really the next three or four years with this team being together. There's really, you can make the argument, no other team that has more Super Bowl or bust expectations uh, than the Rams heading into this year. Because when you look at what we talked about, right? when you 
make that trade if you're the Rams. When you send Jared Goff to Detroit, when you attach a first-round pick to him and chip off two first-round picks and trade away a guy that has, again, led you to a Super Bowl, won a playoff game last year with a broken thumb, you are signaling, even if you don't say it out loud, you are signaling, we need a quarterback to take us to the Super Bowl. Just making the playoffs, just winning the division, just getting a home playoff game or winning a playoff game is not good enough because Jared Goff was able to do that for us already. We are now looking to get to that elite level to where we're looking to make the Super Bowl again and win the Super Bowl. So you look at the pressure, right? Aaron Rodgers, I thought, still had pressure coming in this year. I would say Stafford had more. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he made two consecutive Super Bowls in the past two years. I wouldn't say there's a lot of pressure to get number three. Josh Allen, making the AFC title game this year, I thought did have some pressure coming in, but it wasn't exactly Super Bowl or bust where this season would be viewed as a failure for the Bills, I thought. More than Tom Brady, Stafford pressure-wise, I thought, because again, you win a Super Bowl last year if you're Tom Brady, it's gravy now going forward for, for you in Tampa. So no one, I thought, had more pressure on them this season. No one truly had a, a Super Bowl or bust moniker or theme to their team's name this year more than the Super Bowl, or more than the Rams. And to Stafford's credit, he, again, was not only along for the ride. He wasn't like Jared Goff or, frankly, Jimmy G, that was just kind of towing along, make, yeah, make a few plays here or there, but basically stay out of the way and don't screw it up and ride the team to the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford is the biggest reason why the Rams are at home in the Super Bowl and 60 minutes away from winning their first Lombardi Trophy. What a, what a game, what a win, what a performance by Matthew Stafford. His great play all throughout the regular season led the Rams to win the division and get a home playoff game and then get a second one when the 49ers went on their run. But his play, especially in the postseason, his play especially against the Bucs in the divisional round, and now against the 49ers in the conference title game is the biggest reason why the Rams are in the Super Bowl. He has felt the pressure, he has taken the pressure, and he has performed under the brightest lights consistently now in the playoffs. That's a primetime player. That's an elite-level player. That's exactly what you want, exactly what you expect from your franchise-caliber quarterback, and Matthew Stafford has delivered. I am so happy for him, honestly. Watching that game yesterday, watching that performance, I was the mo- I was the happiest I've been for a non-Colts player having such a success I think I've ever been. I love Joe Burrow. I was very happy to see him in the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, ever since the trade was made last year, where there's weirdly, I thought, still a lot of doubt as to if the Rams are legit, if they can get over the hump. I think I was... In the minority, there's a lot of people that were believers in the Rams, but definitely in the minority of believers in L.A. making a Super Bowl run in year number one. And Stafford, again, has delivered in part because he has handled the pressure this season better than any quarterback in the NFL. Props to you. Congrats to the Rams. Congrats to Matthew Stafford. 60 minutes away from winning that Super Bowl, from getting truly the job done. Speaking of getting the job done, when we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, I'd love to get your thoughts, by the way. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. You can tweet us. You can write on Facebook. You can write on the live stream of the show. Has Matthew Stafford been the quarterback that's faced the most pressure this season? Was there a quarterback that had more pressure on him this year than Stafford? And was there anyone who has impressed you 
more this season, more under pressure moments than Matthew Stafford. And an argument can be made for Joe Burrow. I want to get into the Bengals next. Because there's one aspect, there's one trait that I see from Joe Burrow. I think that's the biggest reason why the Bengals were able to go from 2-14 and 14 to Super Bowl in two years. We will discuss that when we do return here to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hey, welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show, getting your thoughts on Matthew Stafford leading the Rams to the Super Bowl. I thought there's no quarterback in the NFL that's, that's faced the pressure and succeeded under more than Stafford this year. Love to get your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show or WWSRN underscore radio. But we do want to hit on the Bengals here. Because Joe Burrow, right, I think it's fair to say at this point, he has orchestrated, he has led the Bengals on the greatest two-year turnaround we've ever seen in NFL history. 2-14 and 14 in 2019 to Super Bowl in 2021. And I've thought, and I've kind of, you know, watching this Bengals team this year, he's kind of orchestrated it in a very simple way. There's one key characteristic here that's gone and it's led the Bengals to, again, going from the, the basement, in the dungeon, if you will, in 2019, to now the penthouse in 2021. I think it's fair to say, Joe Burrow is two years in, he's already in league cate- uh, a league quarterback, right? Put him in the same category as Patrick Holmes, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson. He is elite, he is absolutely elite. But the reason why the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, it's not because Joe Burrow's arm strength. It's not because of his accuracy or his athletic ability. The reason why the Bengals are in the Super Bowl is because he is unflappable, and that has led and permeated throughout the entire team where the entire Bengals team is unflappable. This is a team now that has consistently all season long when they are faced in the pressurized moment, when they are going into a big game, even the regular season. Because for the Bengals, with their little success they have had, a lot of these games against the Steelers, against the Ravens, against even the Browns or the Chiefs this year, a lot of those games are big-time games for Cincinnati. When you haven't been there before, when you haven't really beaten anybody for the most part of your history, these regular season games now take on a life of its own and become more important than, let's say, Tom Brady playing in a big regular season game. Because obviously, as we know for him, his real season starts in the postseason. But in the biggest games this season, regular season now, especially in the postseason, this entire Bengals team, when the moment gets brightest, they're calm. They're confident. A lot of these teams, even the experienced teams, even the successful teams that they have played, they start to panic. They start to get nervous. And this Bengals team, it's like they almost, they start believing more. They are more galvanized as the moment grows and gets bigger. And that to me is a huge credit to Joe Burrow and his unflappableness that is now permeated through this entire Bengals roster. I thought there's no better example. There's no more perfect example than what we saw yesterday. You look at the Bengals even before the game started. Going to this game, I'll be honest, I thought the Chiefs were going to win. I thought the Chiefs were going to cover the seven points. I really did think this was a great run from Cincinnati. I thought their offense line was going to be a detriment in this game. I really thought the defense had no prayer of slowing down Mahomes and Co. 
And I did think that that first game, even though it was a loss, almost benefited the Chiefs more because they kind of saw the blueprint for how to slow down Burrow in this offense. Right? Jamar Chase went for 266 and three touchdowns uh, in that Week 17 game. I thought, all right, Steve Spagnuolo. You saw basically what not to do. You'll fix that and make sure it doesn't happen again. It's just great it didn't happen again, but also the Chiefs offense, as we know, didn't really get it going either. But this team, this Bengals team, was big underdogs again, seven points. There was not a lot of people believing and picking Cincinnati to win this game. Then when you look when the game starts, three possessions for the Chiefs, three touchdowns. Everything was working for Kansas City, right? Mahomes was finding Travis Kelsey over the middle. He was finding Tyreek Hill. For chunks at a time. Michael Hardman was contributing. Byron Pringle. Jarek McKinnon was running the ball really well and also catching the ball out of the backfield. Everything. Everything. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes touched those first three possessions, turned to gold. So when you look at a Bengals team that was underdogs going into the game, not a lot of people picking them. Now you're down 21-3, to kind of getting close to halftime. It's easy to call it a game. It's easy to fold up shop like, you know what, boys? We had an incredible season. No one expected us to win the AFC North, let alone win a playoff game, let alone be in the AFC title game. Joe Burrow's only in year number two. We overachieved big time. You know what? Our, our road ends here to the two-time uh, defending AFC you know, representative in the Super Bowl. All right, what are you going to do? We lose to Patrick Holmes and co. on the road. Not the biggest deal. We'll come back next year, try to learn from it, and, uh, and be better. Right? No one is faulting or getting upset or calling it, an embarrassment if the Bengals get blown out. Frankly, I think expected by most people that this, this Chiefs team was going to win and the Bengals are going to lose. So it's easy to pack it up in that situation and be like, all right, you know, we tried. We'll see you next year. We did everything we could. But credit to Joe Burrow just before the half. He wasn't settling for that. He wasn't accepting the fact that this season was going to end. Let a big drive for a touchdown right before the half. And look, let's call it for what it is. The Bengals' defense was bailed out by what was a horrible decision by Patrick Holmes to throw the ball to Tyree Kale with five seconds left in the flat, and he's tackled the bounds and no timeouts left, and the clock runs out. There was a guaranteed field goal. As we know later on in the game, those three points the Chiefs really could have used, really could have been the, you know, the difference in the game. It was a, I thought it was a right decision to go for one more play with five seconds left, a horrible decision by Mahomes to throw the ball again into the field of play to Tyreek Hill with the clock running and no timeouts. So the Bengals, absolutely to their credit, got a stop, but got lucky. But you know what, though? It's those breaks that make the difference. Because normally, right, when we're watching this Chiefs team, it's not like they play perfect football anyway. Usually we see them make mistakes. I mean, hell, they are notorious for starting out slow. No team should be able to come back as often and as frequently as the Chiefs do, but because they are so high-powered, Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill and now McKinnon and, and Byron Pringle having such a smart offensive-minded coach and Eric, uh, Andy Reid along with Eric Bieniemy, a lot of these Chiefs' mistakes that are made can be you know made up for. Right? This team loves coming back. They love getting into an early deficit. They sleepwalk through normally the first quarter of most postseason games. And even examples of having 13 seconds left down by three is not enough to slow them down. So one mistake right by half in which you're dominating, again, on the surface, shouldn't seem like that big of a deal because, again, we've seen the Chiefs make mistakes before and have it not come back to bite them. But now you look back. That halftime stop on top of the touchdown that was scored previous by the Bengals really added this, you know, kind of more fuel to the fire 
and gave this team that is filled with quiet confidence even more reason to believe. That's why the second half was basically a whole different, you know, a whole different game. You could throw out the entire first half because what we saw in that second half was totally, totally different. And to Joe Burrow's credit, one of the biggest reasons, again, why he's been able to orchestrate this big turnaround, it's because it's not just with him. This confidence, this quiet confidence, this swagger, this belief is not just kind of contained within himself. It is permeated. It is bled into the entire team. And we saw that in, in the defense in the second half. They didn't panic. They had every reason to panic. Because, again, the one stop they made in the first half, the Chiefs were knocking on the door and they got tackled to the three-yard line. So the Chiefs went down the field pretty easily. And, again, only ran out of time was the only reason why they didn't score a touchdown. So if you're the Bengals defense, it's easy to start hitting the panic button, easy to throw the game plan out the window and say, man, we got to just forget everything we've done. We're screwed. That unflappableness of Joe Burrow, again, led to the, bled into the defense, and they remained calm in the second half. And ironically, strangely, in that second half, it was the Chiefs' offense, the Chiefs' team that has won a Super Bowl, that has been to two in a row, that has played in, in these big-time postseason games on a routine basis. They were the ones who started to panic. They were the ones that deviated from their game plan, started to get frustrated, and they were the ones that kind of cracked early. Not the Bengals, not the team that before this year together has never played in, in any meaningful postseason games, has never won a, a postseason game on the road in their franchise history before last week. This Bengals team, who hasn't played in an AFC title game since 1988, they weren't the first ones to crack. They remain cool under Pressure that starts with their quarterback, and that swagger, that confidence has bled to the entire team. Because again, we saw in the second half the team that's been there before, the team that has climbed the mountain, the team that should know in these situations to remain calm and have everything go okay, were the ones to fold first. Because in that second half, Chiefs offense, we saw it completely abandoned the run. Didn't take what Cincy's defense was giving them. There was bad ball security by Patrick Holmes. He had two, uh, you know, a fumble at almost end of the game in regulation, two interceptions, some poor decision making by Patrick Holmes in terms of throwing the ball in double coverage, you know, throwing the ball in tight windows, being inaccurate, and all that led to, you know, sacks. The defense forced four punts, two turnovers, and allowed just three points in the second half and overtime, just like the first game. The first time the Eastern team's been in Week 17. The first half was dominated by the Chiefs. Second half dominated by the Bengals. Second time in a row, the, uh, the Bengals' defense was able to make the Chiefs' offense break. And when you look at how they've been playing, that's not exactly an easy task to, uh, task to do. This Chiefs' offense has been humming of late. Right, we saw the Steelers in the first Almost the first half of that wilds card game against Kansas City was able to shut Patrick Holmes and Co. down. Right, they didn't score their first touchdown until about five minutes left in that second uh, in that first half, and then from there, next thing you blink, there's 42 points on the board. As the Bills held the Chiefs' offense to 14 points for a large part of the, of the game, then on the final seven possessions, the Chiefs were able to score points on six of them. This is a fast starting, fast igniting. You blink, all of a sudden there's tw you know 21 points on the board just like that. That's this kind of offense, and especially, too, a second-half offense where they are usually able to play their best football. 
Instead, it was the Bengals' defense. That was the ones that didn't panic and made him break. Patrick Mahomes had the worst second half of his career by far yesterday. And a large part of that is because the Bengals, under pressure in the moment, didn't fold. Remained strong. Stuck to the game plan. Didn't panic. And their lack of panic gave the offense a chance. And Joe Burrow, we kind of talked about it last week. Joe Burrow being a stone-cold killer. If you give him a chance to kill you, he's not going to miss. And we saw it happen again yesterday. Exactly. It happened kind of like what happened in Tennessee. Happened again. And to me, it's very Tom Brady-like. We made the comparison last week. Joe Brady. Uh, Joe Brady. Well, that does work there, that comparison. But we saw last week, right, compared Joe Burrow to Tom Brady in the fact that this is this sense of belief. This not allowing the team to fold, staying mentally strong, has kind of you know been one of Tom Brady's calling cards throughout his entire career, and one of the biggest reasons why he's a seven-time Super Bowl champion. We saw a lot of that. I thought we saw a lot of that last week against the Titans, where you're up sixteen to six, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you know, there's a fumble, there's a turnover, interception, and the Titans now had the ball, they had the momentum, and the game is turning, and it really did feel like the Bengals kind of were letting one go. But Ryan Tannehill did what Ryan Tannehill does. Next thing you know, you give Joe Burrow one last chance to get you. He got him. Up 21-3 to if you're Kansas City. That game should have been over. Patrick Holmes turnover. Def- uh, defense playing great. All of a sudden, next thing you let Joe Burrow and company back into the game. He's not going to miss. He's not going to squander that opportunity. So when you look at the, the, the poise that Joe Burrow has shown for a second-year player with no prior playoff experience before this year, it's incredible. Again, we have seen players like uh, Aaron Rodgers crumble under the pressure. We have seen even players like Jimmy G, who have been to a Super Bowl, kind of melt in the big moment. And for Joe Burrow, again, it's not you know always sexy. It's not always flashy. The stats aren't going to you know be like, wow, eye-popping. But his toughness throughout the entire game, his ability to stay calm under pressure and having that permeate throughout the entire team is the biggest reason why the Bengals have gone from 2-14 and to the Super Bowl in two years. The entire team has taken on the personality of the quarterback. And that personality of Joe Burrow is one that has to, you know, that has led to success. It is incredible incredible see this turnaround from Cincy so happy for him to make the Super Bowl and a lot of that goes to Joe Burrow and his unflappableness his ability to remain calm under pressure is the biggest reason why the Bengals moving on to the Super Bowl taking down the two-time AFC champion Chiefs at home doing so down 21 to 3 Never cracking in the big moment. That is the major lesson here. Speaking of lessons here, how about we just, when we come back here on the Reineke Show, we got to figure out what the hell happened to the Chiefs. Who deserves more blame in your mind? Is it Patrick Mahomes or is it Andy Reid? That second half was something we have rarely seen from Kansas City. So we will discuss the blame game. Should it be Mahomes? Should it be Reed? Who deserves more blame for that? Just collapse in the second half against the Bengals. We'll discuss when the Ryan Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show, 15, 20 minutes from now. We'll discuss the future of Jimmy G. NFC title game appearance, Super Bowl appearance two years ago. Should the Fortnite's really move on from Jimmy Garoppolo? We'll discuss that when you do return here in twenty or we do, twenty minutes from now. Forget that we have returned. We are back here on the Ryan Hickey Show, but I do want to talk about the Chiefs. What the hell happened to the Chiefs' offense in the second half of the game yesterday against the Bengals? Twenty-one points, three straight touchdowns uh, on three possessions to start the game. Would have scored on a fourth um, if Patrick Holmes either threw the ball in the end zone or threw it away, setting up a field goal before time ran out in the first half. But basically four drives and four drives that the Chiefs were going to score on if clock and time was not an issue. But instead, as we know, the second half, they produced just three points in the second half and overtime leads to a 27-24 loss, and their season has come to a crashing end. So who's more to blame? Patrick Mahomes? Randy Reed. I hate to kind of pick, uh, kind of play both sides here, but for me, the answer is both. They are equally to blame here, Reed and Mahomes. This is the first time in their in their era, right? in their history of the Mahomes uh, Reed era. It's the first time we could say they are both at fault and both the reason why the Chiefs lost the game. By right, 2018, that incredible AFC title game to the Patriots and, and the Chiefs. That was more on the defense, and obviously, as we know, the overtime rules were also um, uh, uh, scalded as well, but for the most part, that was a lot on the, on the Chiefs' defense. And even in the Super Bowl last year, a lot of that was, and deservedly so, the offensive line just totally depleted uh, for Kansas City. Mahomes had zero, zero chance in that game to stay upright and to make a play. But now this is the first time watching yesterday's game where we can truly say Patrick Mahomes is the reason why the Chiefs lost, and Andy Reid is the reason why the Chiefs lost. I think both are, are culpable here, and both share equal blame. I don't think you can blame one more than the other, and here's why. Let's start with Patrick Mahomes. Because from his perspective, right, right away, he cost the Chiefs three points at the end of the half. Right? That was the, the last sequence heading into halftime was inexcusable from a quarterback who's been around the league now and was as accomplished as Mahomes is. I thought Andy Reid made the right call in going for one more play with five seconds left inside the five-yard line. No timeouts. You got to trust, and you should trust, the best quarterback in the NFL to be smart enough to realize, all right, we're going to make this play. You know, we're going to look one look here. If it's not there, throw it away and allow us to keep time on the clock to kick a field goal. So I like the aggressiveness in going for a touchdown, but Mahomes, you got to realize it's one look, boom, throw it away. You cannot throw it at Tyree Kill in the field of play and allow him to get tackled inbounds with a clock running when you have no timeouts left. That was a horrible, horrible decision by Mahomes. And again, directly cost him three points, which when you look at the final score, when you look how the game ended, you would think, you know, those three points really could have been the difference. Those three points really did cost the Chiefs later on in the game. But it's not just that decision at halftime. It's the total also second half. We lost it. He looked like a rookie quarterback in the second half. That was, I, could, I would argue, with all of 
the bad play Mahomes has had this season, right? Because we saw in the middle of the season, it was an ugly stretch. He was throwing picks. The Chiefs offense wasn't scoring many points. I'd argue that second half yesterday was the worst second half of football Patrick Mahomes has ever played in his career. He was insanely inaccurate with a lot of his passes. And you look at the second half. He completed just 44% of his passes in the second half. Patrick Mahomes, in a playoff game at home, completed just 44% of his passes in the second half. A lot of those passes were incomplete, not just because of inaccuracy, but also because he's, he's making bad reads. He's throwing the ball in the coverage. He's trying to squeeze it in the tight windows. He's not giving his receivers a chance. He's refusing to take the easy completion when it's there. Sometimes, instead of throwing the ball away or, or just scrambling for a yard or two, he kept the play alive. He kept running backwards and backwards. He took some bad sacks. He took some very bad sacks late in the game that did change the outlook and, and the field position for Kansas City. And two interceptions in the, in the second half turned out to be extremely costly. Like, you look at part of the reason why the, the Bengals were able to come back. Those two picks, one in regulation, one in overtime, led directly to 11 points. The first pick by the defensive lineman just tipped up right to him. Mahomes either throw it around him, don't throw it. You got to see the guy right in his face. I mean, threw it right in his hands. Catches the ball that leads to a touchdown, two-point conversion for the Bengals as they're able to tie the game after that pick. Then in overtime, throws a prayer to a double-cover Tyreek Hill. That one's picked. That leads to a field goal to end the game in uh, overtime for the Bengals, send them on their way. When you are the best quarterback in the NFL, which Patrick Holmes is by far, there's no argument there. When you have so much on the line, when you're at home in the second half of a game to send your team to the Super Bowl for the third consecutive season, that play in the second half is just unacceptable. You cannot have that level of play from your franchise quarterback there. He's got to make a play. Even just one play Mahomes makes, one third down conversion, one decent drive to even get another field goal before the final drive of the game, the Chiefs are winning that game. You were desperate for anything for Mahomes to do, but instead, like you mentioned, four punts, Two turnovers, one field goal, game over. Inexcusable, and it's the, by far the worst half of football we've ever seen Patrick Holmes play. But it's not all his fault. Again, this is where I think the, the, the blame is half 50-50 between, between Mahomes and Reed. Because Andy Reed is also a large part of the reason why the Chiefs offense collapsed in the second half. His play call in the first half was masterful. Like we kind of talked about before, everything was working. They got contributions from everyone. Jarek McKinnon, Byron Pringle, Michael Hartman, of course, Tyreek Hill, of course, Travis Kelsey. Mahomes making plays with his legs. The first half, everything Reed was doing was working to perfection. But he, frankly, play calling-wise in the second half, was abysmal. He's awful. Just like, this is something that really bothered myself and, and a lot of us watching, just like Zach Taylor refused to do anything but run the ball on first down yesterday. Just like he had that stubbornness to run the ball on first down no matter what, even though it wasn't working, we're still going to run the ball on first down. Andy Reid had that same stubbornness to do anything but pass the ball in the second half. Of the 35 plays the Chiefs ran in the second half in overtime, 24 were pass plays, were called pass plays. 24 to the 35. Now, when you have Patrick Mahomes. When you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and all the weapons that they have, 
Sure, that makes sense on the surface. Yeah, of course you're going to call more pass plays because you have the best quarterback in the NFL. You have tremendous playmakers. You're going to want to put the ball in their hands and win the game. So on the surface, 24 out of 35 plays being passes makes sense. But here's why two reasons why it didn't make sense in yesterday's game and the second half specifically. Number one, all game long, the Bengals were playing the pass. They rarely blitzed. They played coverage. Sure, it didn't work out in the first half, but especially in that second half, they were basically playing prevent defense. According to next-gen stats, the Bengals dropped eight defenders into coverage on 35% of the pass plays. So you're basically, when you're dropping eight and rushing three, you are playing prevent defense. That's part of the reason why Patrick Holmes at times had 10 seconds to throw the ball. The Bengals were not blitzing. They were not trying to get after him. They were playing back and preventing the big bomb from being completed. And guess what? Mahomes was struggling in that. Andy Reid has got to recognize his quarterback is not doing well with his prevent defense, and you got to start changing your play call. Because when the Bengals dropped eight, Patrick Holmes on those plays were just 7 to 13, 59 yards passing, one interception, two sacks. Dropping eight. Barely completing half his passes, just 59 yards. Again, one pick and two sacks. If you're Andy Reid, you got to recognize that in the moment a lot quicker and realize, all right, they're dropping eight all game. Right now, Mahomes is struggling with that. We got to change things up. We got to be able to run the ball. We got to be able to call different plays to get easy throws to Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill and allow them to, you know, still make their magic. We got to be able to adjust to the adjustments. And Andy, excuse me, Reid failed to do that. And the reason why it's so disappointing, so frustrating from Andy Reid's perspective is because what the Bengals did defensively is what a lot of teams did to the Chiefs in the middle of the year. Right? When the Chiefs were kind of at the, the, the bottom point, rock bottom of their season, when they're in three and four in the year, when they're barely scoring points, when Patrick Holmes is turning the ball over at a very alarming rate, the biggest reason why the Chiefs offense looked at times, frankly, broken was because teams were playing pre-event defense and the Chiefs didn't know how to adjust. They weren't allowing Tyreek Hill to get over the top deep. They were double covering Travis Kelsey. And for the large part, Mahomes didn't really trust any options. So he's still trying to find these guys, even though defenses are keying on taking them away. So until, until Mahomes and Co. started realizing, all right, if we throw it to the running back, if we throw it to our third or fourth receiver, well, they're going to win a lot of these matchups and we're going to you know just basically dink and dunk these teams to death on 9- and 10-yard chunk plays until Mahomes and Reed especially were able to realize that and make a change, teams were swallowing the Chiefs' offense up. But when they made that adjustment, then all of a sudden now they're scoring 48 points on the Raiders, and they're putting up even you know big numbers and losses to, let's say, the, the, the Bengals in the first time these two teams played. They scored 31 points. The Chiefs' offense looked to be back. They scored 42 points in each of their first two playoff games against what was statistically the number one defense in the NFL against the Bills and also against the Steelers. So you think, okay, this Chiefs offense is not only back, they have made the adjustment to now they know when teams are playing prevent defense, they know how to uh, have success. And the Chiefs offense in the second half kind of reverted back to that mid-season form of offense. And that, to me, is a lot on the head coach as well. Mahomes, what we just told you, was awful. But also, it's on Andy Reid to put him in a position to succeed. Instead of continually trying to throw the ball, banging your head against the wall, 
you should have tried something else. It's crazy to say the Chiefs should have ran the ball more. When again, when you have Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill, but the Chiefs in the second half should have ran the ball more. That was a failed adjustment by Andy Reid, and that's why he is equally as much to blame for the second half collapse as Patrick Mahomes is. Mahomes stunk, but also Reid didn't do anything to get him going. Look at the run game, right? The other reason why I thought this was an awful adjustment by Andy Reid is the run game was successful. In the first half, the run was set at the pass. The Chiefs as a team uh, ran the ball for 5.8 yards per carry. Whether it's Jarek McKinnon, whether it was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, whether it was Mikkel Harbin on a few sweeps, whether it's even Patrick Holmes himself keeping plays alive and running for first downs, the run game was working for the Chiefs. The Bengals were giving them the run game. They were allowing them to run the ball. And in the second half again, Mahomes and especially Reed deferred. Ah, we don't want to see it. We don't really want to, you know, we're not going to take the run. We're not going to take the six yards of pop they are giving us. In a game, we're trying to nurse lead and we're trying to get the offense back rolling here. So again, when you look at, you know, calling 24 pass plays out of 35 plays in the second half, again, on the surface, when you have all these names on the Chiefs offense, it makes sense. But in this game, specifically in the second half, it did not make a lot of sense. You can't just ignore the run game and pretend it doesn't exist. And also, pretend and turn a blind eye to the fact that you're having success in the run game. No matter who was running the ball, no matter what the play call was, again, you're ripping off almost six yards a chunk. Take that. When the game is starting to slip, when you see your quarterback struggling and turning the ball over and going three and out and you're not moving the ball, take the easy play. Take the easy completion. Take the easy six yards on the ground they're giving you. And Mahomes and especially Andy Reid failed to do that. Reed failed to adjust his play calling, which in turn failed his quarterback, which as we saw, Mahomes really failed on the big stage. So I think when we're talking about blame, we're talking about who is, you know, the reason for this Chiefs second half collapse. It's equal. It's both Mahomes. It's both Andy Reid. They both had an equal part in this just disastrous second half and overtime showing by the Chiefs offense. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I think both are equally to blame for the loss, for the second half collapse. But how about yourself? Is Patrick Holmes more to blame, or is it Andy Reid? Who deserves more blame in your mind for the Chiefs melting down and losing a playoff game when they were up 21-3? to Let's get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Run Network. Twitter, WWSRRun underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Let's keep the loser theme continuing. I want to focus on the 49ers when we do return here. A big question, a loaded question. What is the future of Jimmy G? Is there any way the 49ers could bring Jimmy G back for 2022? We'll discuss that when we do return here to the Ryan and Keisha Radio on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hey, welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. As always, the 10 o'clock hour is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are great for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. 
So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. I'm going to get to the 49ers um, future here and whether they can bring back Jimmy G in 2022. Because there's been speculation, right, during this playoff run. There's been talk. There's been chatter. There's even been some cases made, I've heard on radio, on TV, and in articles. Uh, for the 49ers to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back in 2022. Should the 49ers do? For me, I'm not one of those guys. I think there's no doubt in my mind we have seen the last of Jimmy G in a 49ers uniform yesterday. I think it's the right move for San Francisco to move on from Jimmy G and usher in the Trey Lance era starting in 2022. And look, if you're a doubter, maybe if you're a Jimmy G believer, I think there's no better example to point at and to look to if you're the 49ers than the Rams. Now, look, Jimmy G, I think, is better than Jared Goff. I don't think it's, you know, heads, you know, miles and miles in between them, but they're similar quarterbacks, right? Jared Goff and Jimmy G, they'll make plays when you, you know, when you ask them to. But for a large part, whether it was 2018 when the Rams went to the Super Bowl or 2019 when the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, they were... I would say along for the ride for the most part, right? That run game for, for San Fran was totally elite and totally taken over the NFL. And for the Rams, look, Jared Goff had a great year. Was he exactly the reason why the Rams were one of the best offenses in the NFL? I'd say no, that's more in Sean McVay. So Jimmy G is a better version of Jared Goff, but they're comparable. They're similar. And you saw Sean McVay and the Rams realize, you know what? Jimmy, uh, Jared Goff is a good quarterback. We can get to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, as we saw in 2018. Is he going to be the guy, though, to truly take us there? Can he lead us to the Super Bowl, or he'll just be along for the ride? And they determined that Jared Goff could not be the reason why, on most nights, the Rams go to the Super Bowl, and they moved on. They got an upgrade to Matthew Stafford. And as we saw yesterday, that trade worked out to perfection because the biggest reason why the Rams were in the Super Bowl is because Matthew Stafford and his play picking up the team and leading them in the fourth quarter to a, to a win to get to the Super Bowl. So now if you're the 49ers, you're kind of in the same boat. And you got to realize, look, Jimmy G has been clutch at times. He has played well at times. But he is a quarterback that consistently is not going to be the reason why you win. And you got to bring in a guy that you hope Trey Lance can turn into that can be on the same level as a Stafford, as a Russell Wilson, as a Patrick Holmes or Josh Allen and be the reason why the 49ers now are winning games consistently and be the reason why they are making playoff appearances and you hope making multiple Super Bowl appearances. I just want to say this before we go any further here. I like Jimmy G. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And I think for his inconsistencies, which is absolutely you know a thing, I think he has been pretty clutch for the most part. Like, he's not an elite quarterback, but when you're talking about outside of the elites, you know, the Derek Carrs, the Kirk Cousins, the Carson Wentz's, the Jared Goffs, the Jimmy G's, I would take Jimmy G over all those guys in part because while they all are inconsistent and talent-wise, most of them are, are more talented than Jimmy G, to his credit, he has been clutch. He has gotten the drive and he's made the big drive when the 49ers have needed him. So he is going to be an upgrade for whatever team trades for him, wherever they go. Pittsburgh, I don't know if the Colts, maybe, you know, the, the Browns, wherever Jimmy G is traded this offseason, he's going to be an upgrade for that team. So he's not a bad quarterback. I'm not trying to sit here and slander Jimmy G. 
But what we've seen in this postseason shows you quarterback play makes the big difference. That is the big differentiator when it comes to teams winning, teams losing. Look at it, look, look at every result, every team. Every team that's either won a playoff game this postseason or has lost a, uh, lost a game this postseason. Almost every result, win or loss, can be pinned on how the quarterback plays. Matthew Stafford has played really well. The, Sam, uh, the Rams won the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow has played really solid, really consistent. The Bengals won the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers shrinks at home. Packers lose to the 49ers. Patrick Holmes disappears in the second half. Chiefs, all of a sudden now, can't get anything going on offense. They lose. They are now home. Almost every result, win or lose, you can look at the quarterback and how they have played. When they play well, these teams usually win. When they play poorly, these teams don't have a chance and lose. And this postseason has shown you Jimmy G will never be the reason why you win a Super Bowl. Like I said, he's clutch at times. He has had some big moments in this postseason and big moments in this season. But when you make the playoffs, when you need to win three or four games in a row to hoist that Lombardi trophy, you need a quarterback that can carry you not just for a drive, not just even for a game. You need a quarterback that can lead you and play consistently well for three or four games in a row. you got to consistently make the big throws week in and week out. And that's where Jimmy G has struggled. Inconsistency. Like, look at this postseason. He's had moments. To get just the 49ers into the playoffs, they had to beat the Rams in Week 18. You're down 17-0. Season on the line after you make a comeback. You need a touchdown to keep the season alive. Two-minute drill. Jimmy G, to his credit, leads the 49ers down the field. They score a touchdown late in the game in order to send the game to overtime. In overtime, you lead the team down for a field goal that eventually proved to be the winning score. Jimmy G was pretty bad in that first half against the Rams in Week 18. He was able, though, to be clutch and lead the, the 49ers to the playoffs. Against the Cowboys, he wasn't asked to do a lot. He was solid. He made a few throws, but they didn't ask him to be the difference maker, and he almost ended up costing them the game. Missed you know, open receivers. Threw a, a horrible pick in the fourth quarter that gave the Cowboys life when that game should have been over. Again, Jimmy G was, was along for the ride, and you ask him to just don't screw it up. He has one or two throws a game that really – Put the 49ers in jeopardy. To be honest, against the, four, uh, against the Packers last week, he was pretty horrible for three and a half quarters. But again, it goes back to that clutchness for him where he's inconsistent. He's able, though, in the fourth quarter, three minutes left, he led the 49ers down the field for the game-winning field goal. Made two big throws, one to Debo Samuel, one to George Kittle. Run games relied upon, and you were able, again, to book a win. Even yesterday, played decent. Right? It was okay for, you know, the first half, first three quarters. But in that fourth quarter, when you truly need your quarterback to be a game changer, he wasn't able to do it. After the Rams tied up, three and out. After the Rams take a lead, the final drive throws a pick. That was his final throw as a 49er. Jimmy G is, is, is what he is. He can play well in spurts. He can shake off a rough start and, and lead you on a clutch drive. He can play well. For the first half, first three quarters, and then all of a sudden had the wheels fall off in the fourth quarter. He's a guy who plays well in spurts, but can't be relied upon to play a, a great full game, and especially can't be relied upon to play a, a great postseason. And that is why, again, it's the right move for the 49ers to move on. It's extremely hard. It's extremely hard to win a Super Bowl when the quarterback is just along for the ride. Again, both teams that are in the Super Bowl this year, Matthew Stafford with the Rams, Joe Burrow with the Bengals, 
are the biggest reasons why, the biggest catalysts for this Super Bowl push. Jimmy G, frankly, even if the 49ers were able to make the Super Bowl, was along for the ride for most of the postseason. That is why the 49ers in the offseason, last offseason, identified we need an upgrade. We need to make a move. We need to do what the Rams did and realize, you know what? Jimmy G, we can win with them. Hell, they got to a Super Bowl, and now they got to an NFC title game in two of the last three years. You can win with Jimmy G, but you cannot win because of Jimmy G. And that is now where the NFL landscape is. The quarterback position is so important, and the play has become so elite at, 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 you know, at the top that if you aren't there, you have an extremely tough time to win. Now, you need a dynamic talent at quarterback that can not only play really well, that can lead your team and make the big throws in the postseason. We saw Matthew Stafford again do it for the Rams. Mahomes did it, especially in that wild AFC divisional round game against the Bills. He's the only reason why the, the Chiefs were able to get to the NFC title game. Josh Allen almost willed the Bills and should have been in the AFC title game if not for his defense. Tom Brady, as we know, has made a career of playing well in the big moment. All of these quarterbacks that have had success, that have made multiple postseason deep runs, have all done so because their quarterback has led the charge, has been the difference maker. And if you are able to hit on that with Trey Lance, look out. The 49ers are going to be routinely in the NFC title game. Because look at this team, they're loaded. This team is loaded at every position, really, except quarterback. Their old line is very solid. The run game is one of the best in the NFL. They have really good skill guys. Debo Samuel exploded onto the scene. He's looking like a, a real menace now for any defense trying to slow him down. George Kill is one of the best uh, tight ends in all of the NFL. There's a lot of talent, especially on that front four and the linebacking core for Sam Fran on the defensive side. They have a great head coach. I like Kyle Shannon a lot. I think he's a, a smart guy. I think a lot of this uh, success has been because of him and his play calling and, and his scheme. So he is able, you know, to, again, lead the 49ers to constant postseason success with a quarterback that is, again, able to manage the game, able at times to not lose it for you, at times be clutch and make a few throws. But it's not been consistently reliable for the 49ers down the stretch, and it's time to change that. That's why I think it's the right move for the 49ers to move on from Jimmy G, even though he's made his Super Bowl two years ago, and now he's made an NFC title game this year. It's absolutely the right move to move on because, again, this postseason should serve as a reminder, not just the 49ers, but any team and every team in the NFL without an elite quarterback. You can make a Super Bowl. Hell, you could even win a Super Bowl in the NFL in 2021 when you have a top 15 quarterback. The thing, though, and the reason why it's so tough and it's so much harder to do is because Everything around you has to be perfect. The offense line has to be elite and healthy. The run game has to be something where you can rely upon and have it be top five in the NFL. You have to have great skilled players that are open, that are able to, you know, to get have quarterbacks like Jimmy G get them the ball quickly and just make plays big time. You have to have a defense that is stout. That is great stop on the run. That is great stop on the pass. You have to have a genius head coach that's able to put your quarterback that's limited in positions to succeed. You are able to do it. Let's not pretend like Jimmy G and the 49ers were not up by 10 in the Super Bowl with seven and a half minutes ago, two years ago. 
You can win a Super Bowl with a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo, but it is so much harder to do. Everything around the quarterback has to be perfect. Perfect. And if one thing is off, including said quarterback, you don't have a chance. We saw that yesterday. Jimmy G had a rough game. Wasn't able to make a few big throws. At times, the defense, you know, dropping the interception by Jaquaski Tart. Fourth quarter, allowing the Rams to score in three possessions every time they had the ball. Allowing some key conversions to Cooper Cup on third down. When everything isn't perfect, it's really hard to win in the playoffs when you have a quarterback that's not in the elite category. That's why the 49ers are making this move. No one's saying you can't win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. You absolutely can. But it is so much harder to do. When you look at the Bengals, when you have that guy, when you have that quarterback, that leader that has played well, that has led your team, you don't have to be perfect. Look at this O-line. This O-line is horrible. Horrendous. They allowed nine sacks to the Titans last week and were able to win the game. The O-line wasn't perfect. The run game wasn't reliable. The defense at times was a little shaky. And because you have the guy, because you have Joe Burrow, an elite quarterback, a difference maker, you were able to win that game. That is why you go for the elite quarterback because he makes everyone around you better and he widens the margin for error. The margin for error is razor thin to none when you have a quarterback that's, let's say, 10 to 15 uh, on the, in the NFL. When you have that top 10 quarterback, it erases so many other mistakes or weaknesses or areas of vulnerability that it makes your job, if you're Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, so much easier. That's why you go all in for Trey Lance. That's why it's time to move on from Jimmy G after this season, this offseason. His draft, his uh, trade value is ever going to be higher. And it's time to usher in the future. You knew 2021 was going to be the final year of Jimmy, Jimmy G because you knew you could win with Jimmy G. You knew postseason success was attainable. You probably went into the year expecting to be a playoff team. So it's not like it was an accident where all of a sudden Jimmy G had this incredible stretch where John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are like, oh my God, wow, maybe we got, we got to keep, we didn't see this coming. We have seen this play before from Jimmy G. It's not a shock, but it's the exact reason why the 49ers decided to go all in, to get Trey Lance, to usher in that new era, to find that missing piece, to put them in the elite category, put them over the top. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSR run underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. So the 49ers move on from Jimmy G just help lead him to a NFC title game up by 10, the fourth quarter led him to a Super Bowl two years ago. Is it time for the 49ers to move on from Jimmy G or should they bring him back in 2022? Love to hear your thoughts again. Facebook worldwide sports network, Twitter, WWSR run underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. We return here. I want to take a break from conference championship weekend because I want to talk about ownership in the NFL. Two owners, I thought, severely hurt their respective teams this offseason, uh, or this week, I should say. Tell you who those two teams are when we do return and why. Listen to the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 
And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. I want to take a break from Conference Championship Weekend and talk about two teams over the weekend that I thought took major steps back. And the reason why they took steps back is in large part because of their owners. I think Stephen Ross with the Dolphins, Mark Davis with the Raiders, both expose themselves, if not before this weekend, of being horrible, horrible owners when it comes to on-the-field success. Because I think both organizations took a step back this weekend, got further from success, not closer to it, after, in the Dolphins' case, missing out on their, I thought, best head coaching candidate, and for the Raiders and who they decided to hire. Let's start with the Dolphins and Stephen Ross. I thought, honestly, the Dolphins, of any team with a head coach opening in this cycle, were the biggest losers of any of those nine teams looking for a head coach. Allowing the Giants to hire Brian Dayball is a major, major failure on their part, and it highlights why Stephen Ross is such a bad owner. We always talk about, uh, as a saying, when it comes to especially organizational success, right? The fish rots from the head. When you're trying to build a consistent winner, when you're trying to build a Super Bowl contending team, the owner, if he's not a good one, is one of the biggest reasons why teams kind of always fail to have consistent success, and Stephen Ross is showing so. So they fired Brian Flores, which I thought, to be honest, was a mistake at the beginning. But it was a massive mistake by the Dolphins to move on from their former head coach. But when the decision was made, about the perfect candidate for them, the perfect guy to be their next head coach, is Brian Dayball. Right, a big reason why Brian Flores was fired was because of the tension between himself and GM Chris Greer. Reports are that that Flores was kind of tired of Tua. He didn't believe in him. He wanted Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, where Chris Greer and Stephen Ross were both wanting to see Tua have success in Miami. They were kind of Tua backers. So that, you know, friction between Tua Believer and Tua Non-Believer is the biggest reason why Brian Flores is fired. So if you want to have Tua have success in Miami, if you're Chris Greer at the gym, if you're Stephen Ross, the owner, and you want to see Tua succeed, there is no better coach to hire than Brian Dayball. Why? Brian Dayball already worked and coached with Tua Tungvalo. He was the offensive coordinator at Alabama back in 2017 when they won the national title. Now, Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback for most of that year, but if you remember, Tua came in at halftime and led the Crimson Tide to the national title. But it's not just that. Because there are reports out there that Brian Dayball left Alabama for just one season. He was there for you know 2017 as the OC, then went to Buffalo to be there, we'll see in 2018. He was at Alabama for one season in large part because he was frustrated with how Nick Saban handled the quarterback position. Brian Dayball wanted Tua Tungvaloa to be the starting quarterback at Alabama in November. He wanted to bench Jalen Hurts. He wanted to get the freshman Tua on the field to play. Saban said, no, we're going to shut it down. We're going to roll with Hurts. That frustration led Brian Dable in part to leave for the Buffalo Bills to become their OC. He was a Tua believer, so much so that he and Nick Saban disagreed over who the starter should be. So if you want Tua to succeed, you already have a head coach that believes in him, like Brian Dable. Not to mention, when you look at what Dable has been able to do with young quarterbacks, especially Josh Allen, Josh Allen, from year one as a rookie to year number three, 
His transformation was impeccable. It was impressive. For the first three years, year over year, Josh Allen's completion percentage increased. His passing yards every year increased. His TDs increased. His touch, uh, his interceptions, excuse me, hovered around the, the same number. So even though they're passing more, he's throwing more touchdowns. His interceptions, for the most part, stayed around the same. His passing attempts increased. His passer rating increased. Josh Allen, for the first three years of his career, got better each and every year. He developed. Wasn't that what you want for Tua? If Brian Dable is able to take a raw player in Josh Allen and mold him into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, borderline elite quarterback in the NFL, you don't think he'd do the same with Tua? Now, obviously, the talent's not there, and some of the physical traits aren't there, but he could do the same thing with Tua. So if you're Stephen Ross, the owner, your main target when you fire Brian Flores should have been Brian Dayball. And the, by other reports, it seems like Dayball was interested in going to Miami, but the biggest reason why Stephen Ross is at fault here is because he slow played this. He didn't move quick enough. Miami was too slow to the punch, and they lost out on their perfect candidate, not because he rejected them, not because he didn't want to work with the GM or go and coach the Dolphins. He left and chose the Giants in part because the Dolphins took their te- their damn time, their sweet time. Like if you're Brian Dable, I can't fault him for choosing the Giants when the offer is there and you don't have another offer from the Dolphins. The Dolphins are doing their second round of interviews this week. So if you're Brian Dable, you're going to risk you know, passing on a job that's handed to you for a job that you don't have yet, you think you could get, but there's no guarantee. It's like a bird in the hand is what? Worth two in the bush. It's hard for Brian Dable, if he wants to be a head coach, to reject a head coach offering on the table right there. But the Dolphins royally screwed this up. There's a famous saying, right? Indecision is a thief of opportunity. That's exactly what happened. Stephen Ross was indecisive. Make your move, man. Pull the trigger on Brian Dable, give him the job offer, and have the one guy who believes in Tua come into your building to develop him to become a franchise quarterback. Brian Dable was interested. According to Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News, Dable was a favorite to land the Miami job. But you, to lose out on the perfect candidate because you were too slow on the trigger is terrible. Is absolutely terrible. And it's the biggest reason why the Dolphins took a major step back. Big time loss for the Dolphins in missing out on the perfect candidate for their situation. And for the Raiders... They made a hire. I think it's the, the absolute wrong hire. Because as we know, Mark Davis and before him, his late father, Al Davis, they both were infatuated with the shiny object. It didn't matter that it, you know, maybe that player didn't fit on the team or that head coach's system didn't really work anymore. The Davises were all about flair. We're all about glitz. Who can we hire who can we sign? Who can we trade for? Who can we draft? That's going to make the biggest splash. That's going to really get the town talking. That's going to put the Raiders, you know, in the papers, constantly have teams and, and you know, networks and radio and television and newspapers always talking about the Raiders. And that philosophy, I think, has set the team back. It doesn't move them forward. Because I think hiring Josh McDaniels as their next coach is a horrible move. 
He's a big name. You finally lure away Bill Belichick's confidant. You get him out of New England, a guy who has been rumored every single year to be in the head coach running. And you are able, if you're Mark Davis in your mind, to lure a big fish to your pond. But sure, he's a big name. But I think there's little there to be able to actually trust Josh McDaniels. He's a great offensive mind. I'm not going to deny that, right? Whether he's done with Tom Brady, how he's developed Mac Jones this year, he is a great offensive mind. He knows offense. But you know what he also is? He's a horrible leader. He's an absolute horrible leader. That's what led to his downfall in Denver. He's there for just 26 games. He was fired so quickly because of his poor leadership skills. Because everyone on the team hated him. Because no one actually believed he knew what he was doing. In terms of team leadership, in terms of team building. Offensively, again, you can believe, you can trust what Josh McDaniels is telling you. But how he teaches it, how it comes off to the rest of the team, is not there. And I've heard this time and time and time again. His time with the Denver Broncos a decade ago, right? What's the big excuse for Josh McDaniels? Oh, you know, he wasn't mature. He's really matured since that one stint in Denver that didn't even last two years. He's a different head coach now than he was, you know, during that time. He's just 33. He was young. And he has learned a lot since that failed experiment with the Broncos. For those that think Joshua Daniels has matured, that think he's a different coach now than he was in Denver, let me throw this by you. What happened in 2018? What happened when he left the Colts at the altar heading into that 2018 season where he committed to becoming the co- uh, coach of the Colts, the, the um, Patriots in the Super Bowl that year, so they had to wait till after the game. They lost to the Eagles. The Colts were waiting there. The last team with the head coach opening, they have verbally committed. Josh Daniels, boom, is in, is going to be the head coach. Even hires assistants like Matt Eberflus. And Nick Sirianni were the offensive and defensive coordinators. They were both hired by McDaniels. They were both McDaniels' choices. So the staff is in place. You're waiting on McDaniels. He tells you, I'm going to be the next head coach. And then at the 11th hour, as the Jet is flying to pick you up for the introductory press conference, you get cold feet to back out. Where's the maturity there? I thought he was mature. I thought he's a changed man since Denver. And then just a few years ago, 2018 is not that long ago. 2018 is a hell of a lot more recent now than 2009, 2010 was to 2018. So he has had a long time from his Denver uh, time, and that coach that was failed, to when he left the Colts to the altar. There's a long time in between to mature, to think about how he become a better head coach. And he pulled a Bush League move. So what maturity are we talking about here when just a few years ago, again, he did one of the, the few things we have never seen a head coach do. That is back out of commitment. How can he be trusted? I don't think he can. I absolutely don't think he can. And now when you look at McDaniels going to Vegas, I don't think he's going to have a lot of success. On the field, you look at what this team has, right? Offensively, you right now at best have the third quarterback, uh, third best quarterback in the NFL. Derek Carr, he's not better than Patrick Holmes. He's not better than Justin Herbert. If the Broncos go land a big fish, all of a sudden you have the fourth best quarterback in your division, and you have the fourth worst team in the AFC West. You better pray to God 
that it's Teddy Bridgewater, that it's Drew Locke, maybe that it's even Jimmy Garoppolo starting at quarterback next year for the Broncos and not Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Because if you're the Raiders, you are dead last in that division. And the biggest reason why the Raiders made the playoffs this year, it's not because they were an offensively elite team or their defense is out of this world. The biggest reason why the Raiders were able to make the playoffs in part or or in large part was because they were able to overcome adversity. Everything should have derailed this season. You had your head coach resign over emails that are disgusting. Midway through the year, you had your star wide receiver drive drunk and kill someone. Now he's, you know, he's going to go to jail for a very long time. You had another player, you know, have a, you know, get a, get cut top pick in Damon Ornette because he get cut because he threatened someone on social media. You've had so much adversity. This Raiders team had to overcome this season. And when you get off to a hot start, then you lose, you know, you lose a lot of games. Now you're sitting there at six and seven on the season. It's easy they just fold up shop and say, you know what? You know, a lot to overcome. We couldn't do it. To their credit, to Rich Basaccia's credit, he kept the team believing. They won their final four games. They got into the playoffs. They beat the Colts to keep their season alive. They won that epic game against the Chargers on the last play of overtime to get into the postseason. They, their ability to overcome adversity, to stay mentally strong and mentally engaged is the biggest reason why they made the postseason. And I'd argue that is the worst quality about Josh McDaniels. He's not someone who overcomes adversity. We saw it in Denver. We saw it with the Colts where, you know what, he decided right away, eh, I'm not going to go. I get nervous. I got cold feet. Oh, Bill Belichick gave me a better offer. He does not overcome adversity. So now if you're going to take a team that I would say overachieved in 2021, how can he really take this team to the next level? I don't think he is. I don't think he's a very good leader. I don't think he's really changed that much maturity-wise for his time in Denver to where he is now. And I think Mark Davis made a huge, huge mistake in hiring Josh McDaniels. And you could have had Brian Flores, who is absolutely a true leader and throughout his time in Miami, the one constant he has done is he has gotten more out of his team than less, right? They have overachieved every year. You could have hired Doug Peterson, who led Philly to the Super Bowl and led the Philly to the playoffs in three out of his five years. He could have hired Jim Harbaugh, who was one of the most successful NFL head coaches at the time he left. You could have had three really solid options in Jim Harbaugh and Brian Flores and Doug Peterson. I think each would have been a sexy hire, would have been a big name, would have brought attention to the Raiders. But instead, they go for, I guess, the white whale. The one guy who couldn't be hired, and that was Josh McDaniels, who is not trustworthy at all. I think he's the least successful option in terms of on-the-field coaching of any of the other candidates they could have had. It's a massive, massive, massive failure by Mark Davis in hiring Josh McDaniels and becoming Patriots West. Major, major mistake. And that's why the ownership for the Raiders, I think, has led them to take a massive step back. Big step back. Out of hire Jim Harbaugh. I would have hired Brian Flores. I would have hired Doug Peterson. And if those three say no, go somewhere else, I would have kept Rich Passaccia. I thought Rich Passaccia did enough in terms of keeping this team together to where he deserved an opportunity to return. But instead, Mark Davis loves to go for the big, shiny toy. I think that's going to really come back to bite him big time in this situation. So I think the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, really had the team uh, move backwards, not forwards with his decision to hire Joshua Daniels. And Stephen Ross, his slow-footedness, his indecision 
allowed the perfect candidate in Brian Dable to get hired by a team in the Giants who identified their guy, did not waste any more time, and just made the offer and had him come. And you had now the Dolphins with the perfect hire out the door with another team. The ownership of the Dolphins and the Raiders have moved their teams backwards, not forwards this weekend. So we return here. I want to quickly highlight uh, before we get out of here, Matthew Stafford getting the job done in L.A. and leading the Rams to the Super Bowl. It was one thing Stafford, I thought, did better than any quarterback this season. I'll tell you what that is when we return to listen to the Ryan Key Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in Monday edition of the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I want to close out the show by hitting on the biggest topic, I think, of this Monday, and that is Matthew Stafford leading the Rams to the Super Bowl in his first year in L.A. I think there's one thing Matthew Stafford did this entire season better than any other quarterback in the NFL, and that is handle the pressure and overcome the adversity. You look at all, a lot of the other big-time quarterbacks in the NFL, especially in this postseason. You had Aaron Rodgers crumble at home at Lambeau Field in their loss in the playoffs to the 49ers. You had Patrick Holmes completely no-show in the second half uh, of the game yesterday against the Bengals. A lot of big-time, prime-time quarterbacks that we have seen, for one reason or another, have been unable to overcome the pressure in the playoffs and get the job done. But to Matthew Stafford's credit, whether it was in the regular season at times, and especially now in the postseason, and especially now in the last two weeks, he has been able to handle the pressure and overcome it more than any other quarterback in the NFL. We look entering the fourth quarter. Right, where Matthew Stafford historically has lost 26 consecutive games now where, where his team has trailed by 10 or more points in the fourth quarter. You're down 17-7. to seven. You need The Rams need you to step up. The run game's not really working. You need to make throws. You're going to win this game on your right arm. And to Matthew Stafford's credit, the best he has played yesterday in that NFC title game was in the fourth quarter. The last three drives of the game, Outside of and not excluding the kneel down, Matthew Stafford went 14 to 17, 159 yards, and one touchdown. The offense scored on all three drives, a touchdown, two field goals. Matthew Stafford in the fourth quarter with your season on the line at home was able to not only embrace the pressure, but overcome it and play his best ball of the game and some of his best football of the season. Sure, we got lucky with a drop pick. Absolutely, but sometimes you need those breaks, and he was able, very next play, throw a pass down the sideline to OBJ to get the Rams' offense going. He didn't shy away from the pressure. He didn't try to hide or, or try to, you know, just play conservative, not trying to lose the game. Whether it was last week against the Buccaneers or yesterday against the 49ers, Matthew Stafford was able to play his best football in the big moments, and he was able to handle the pressure of those moments, of those games, better than any quarterback this season. It's a big credit to him. There's a lot of doubters of Matthew Stafford and of the Rams of whether this partnership would work. Whether Matthew Stafford, who's a hired gun, who's brought in to make the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, nothing else. That's a lot that can crumble a quarterback. That's a lot 
that can make a lot of great quarterbacks struggle again. Aaron Rodgers faced a mountain of pressure to get to the Super Bowl this year. Everything lined up for him, couldn't come through. Patrick Holmes, second half, struggles. Jimmy Garoppolo, even. In that fourth quarter, played some of his worst football of the postseason when the 49ers needed him most. To Matthew Stafford's credit, especially in this postseason, when the Rams have needed him the most, that is when he has stepped up. That is when he has played his best football. That's pressure. That's coming through. And no quarterback, I think, has come through more in the big pressure moments than Matthew Stafford this season. He deserves to get recognized for it. I'm so happy for him. As a believer, from early on when he was traded to the Rams, his talent, you know, we've seen Detroit has gone wasted. He's a great quarterback that just unfortunately was not able to play in a lot of big games. And now when he's on a good team that is able to, at times, lift him up, but other times, you know, match the talent he has, special things are happening. He has been tremendous. And he is the biggest reason why the Rams are in the Super Bowl. They needed a big time last week against the Bucs to get out to the early lead and then bail them out when the defense and the play calling and Sean McVay even started to get you know a little tight and a little nervous. He bailed them out on the last drive with under a minute left. And this week again, down 17-7. to Already throwing one pick in the end zone on an early drive in the first quarter. Shaking that off. Shaking off a team that has beat him twice this year, but also a team that's beaten the, the Rams overall six straight times. You're able to shake off that pressure and in the fourth quarter deliver your best performance. No quarterback can handle the pressure better than Matthew Stafford this season, and he deserves to get recognized for it. Hat tip to you, Matthew. What a run. What a postseason run here. Now 60 minutes from, I think, cementing a Hall of Fame career. Still a long way to go. Right, so you know, a lot more mountains to climb, a lot more records to break, a lot more, you know, Lombardi trophies to win. But you win the Super Bowl, all of a sudden, Canton is looking very, very likely for number nine. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show Radio. We appreciate you on the Monday after conference championship weekend for making us a part of your morning. We will be back on Thursday. Get you kind of do an early Super Bowl preview a little bit and also bounce around some other head coaching hires as well. A lot of NFL news, a lot of other NBA news to get into. So Thursday will be a jam-packed show like it always is. So between now and then, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Thursday morning right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.